What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Thank you for tuning in to today's Baseball America podcast. Our podcast is sponsored by S. Preston Designs. S. Preston is world famous for its minimalist design of baseball mascots, college, and major league stadiums. S. Preston Designs have been featured at the Hall of Fame and at ballparks around the country. This week, we're giving away an S. Preston's Design MLB Stadium poster. To enter to win, all you have to do is head over to baseballamerica.com slash stadium contest, select your favorite stadium design, and submit. It's that easy. Again, to enter to win at baseballamerica.com slash stadium contest. Hey everybody, Kyle Glazer coming to you live from the beautiful uh, Baseball America studios here in Durham, North Carolina. Sitting here with Matt Eddy as we get ready to dive deep into the New York Mets system. Matt, it's an interesting system. Uh, Ahmed Rosario and Dom Smith were long time, you know, top two guys in the system. They graduated, uh, kind of some new blood. You went Andres Jimenez, you know, the young shortstop prospect, number one in the system. A couple other competitors there would have been David Peterson, their first-round pick, uh, Justin Dunn, their first-rounder last year, Peter Alonzo, Masher, got to double-A. Just take us through the process of, you know, as you called and, and spoke with evaluators and, and crunched the numbers, what was it that propelled Andres Jimenez to the top of uh, the Mets' uh, top ten prospects? Well, have a situation where the Mets lack a blue chip prospect who's a slam dunk top 100 guy, you know, franchise type player. They don't have that this year. They had it last year. They had it when they had Conforto in the system. So when determining which of these players should rank number one, I sided with the guy who had the most avenues to a big league job, and I thought that was Andres Jimenez, the 18-year-old shortstop, who spent all year at low A. Uh, hit pretty well considering his age. His average was touching 290 late into the season before he faded. Uh, he's a left-handed hitter, good defensive ability, good range, good arm. Uh, but I couldn't get anybody to go plus on his hit or power, so there are legitimate upside concerns. But given his youth, the fact that he plays shortstop, bats left-handed, is, is a pretty fundamental player who hasn't, whose body has not physically matured. I think there's a lot of, there are some avenues to some upside potential. Right. I mean, I think it's important to remember this guy was 18 the whole year, turned 19 September. He's 5'11", 176 pounds. So this isn't uh, – the Andres Jimenez today is not what Andres Jimenez is going to look like three years from now. Correct. And I think once we see that – I mean, we've seen that with Ahmad Rosario a little bit. He's tapping into his power now, which was pretty much non-existent two years ago. But I think uh, – was it fair to say that people don't see Jimenez as a future Rosario? It's, he's not quite that level. No. He's not at that level. I think, in fact, the best-case scenario is starting second baseman and double-play partner with Rosario. I think, you know, I think any time, obviously you mentioned not having a blue-chip prospect, but any time you have a guy who can still potentially be an everyday middle infield big leaguer, mm-hmm. 
It's not a bad outcome. Yeah, left-handed hitter, top of the order type of bat if he reaches the ceiling. I think that's a very good outcome. Yeah, absolutely. So then you kind of have three older guys, all college guys. David, you know, take us through. David Peterson was their first-round pick this year, college guy. Justin Dunn was the first-round pick last year, college guy. Obviously, Dunn had a few more results to go off of as a professional. Um, when you stack those two up and, and went Peterson two, Dunn three, just what was sort of that that process? Um, David Peterson, the Oregon left-hander, could have ranked number one in this system. I think for a while I had him there. I think had he gone out and pitched more at Brooklyn, but he had an ingrown toenail surgery that prevented that from happening. If he had gone out and pitched well and made the New York Penn League top ten, he probably would have been number one on this list. But we don't have a long pro track record with him. And even his college performance wasn't exceptional until his junior year. But he's a guy who already has a couple of major league quality secondary pitches, and he throws strikes with a sinking fastball that's around 90 miles per hour. So he doesn't have huge stuff, but I think he's 6'6", throws strikes. He's the sort of the mid-rotation prototype, left-hander prototype. And, and you mentioned avenues to the big leagues. You talk about big physical left-handers who throw strikes, have at least one secondary, let alone two. And I remember doing some just some draft coverage, checking with some West Coast cross-checkers. No one – Peterson was not a guy anyone loved and raved about, but no one banged on him either. It's like, yeah, you know, it's a good pitcher. We like what he can do. We see him as, as a potential, you know, useful big leaguer. Yeah, I think that's it. <laughs> I think he's best-case number three starter, you know. All right. More likely, probably more like a number four. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned this junior year. Uh, Mike Lanana, uh, our, our, one of our great college writers, wrote an article about how the pitching coach really unlocked something with him, and he had that 20-strikeout game against my alma mater, Arizona State. Was there a sense that he did make an adjustment where you could see him missing a significant amount of bats even without maybe plus stuff? I think if his slider plays against right-handed batters at, at the pro level, you know, that's going to be the pitch slider and changeup. You know, we, we don't have much of a pro track record to this right. point, but he did well in his one inning stints. So ingrown toenail surgery, that's, that's an unusual uh, injury. I've heard that about. one before. Yeah, that's a new one. <laughs> but apparently it impacted his ability to even you know, walk, so you can right. see why right. even pitching le- would be a challenge. Le- landing on that, on that <laughs> foot would be pretty painful every single time. But, no, you, you know, you mentioned he had a 20-strikeout uh, game and a 17-strikeout game. But don't expect those results to transfer to the pro ranks. Justin Dunn, I think, was a guy last year that kind of shot into the first round. You know, he was a reliever a lot at Boston College. They made him a starter. He had a great junior run. Mets took him first round. I believe he was a top 100 guy, back top 100 guy for us at the start of the year. Mm-hmm. Things didn't go so great in his first full season. Uh, What did you hear about him and and where the shortcomings were? Yeah, I'm a bit surprised they pushed him so aggressively to high A when he seemed like a great low A candidate given the fact that he had something like eight, eight starts as a college junior and switched roles during his junior year, which is pretty much unprecedented in modern draft history to have a guy start the year as a reliever Move into the rotation and still go in the first round. And only make eight starts. It's not like you know, he went out and made 14 starts, and then it was a deep run in the college world series. Like, it was eight starts. Eight starts. And then they skipped him over <laughs> low A entirely. Low A entirely. Into high A. Um, he's going to have to find a way to get left-handed batters out. That's 
his major issue. They hit 345 against him in the Florida State League with power. Uh, and, for the, so, and for those who so, don't know, the Florida State League is the single most pitcher-friendly league in the minor leagues. Like, in the full-season leagues. The full-season leagues. So anytime you get hit hard there, it's a red flag. Mm-hmm. So that speaks to fastball command, uh, quality of secondary stuff has to be a little sharper. Um, you know, but as he did pitch some relief outings in the Florida State League and dominated. And, you know, I don't, I think it's a 50 50 proposition at this point. You're looking at a eighth or ninth inning reliever versus a three or four starter. You know, you say that about a lot of guys, I know. But in terms of recent precedent, guys like Dylan Tate, whom the Rangers drafted, Tyler J., whom the Twins drafted, these are kind of, similar types of pitchers coming out of college to Dunn, and neither one of them has let it up as a starter to this point. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Dylan Tate had a little bit of a, of a considered a bounce-back campaign this year, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, still, like you mentioned, there's been a lot of struggles there. And even when he came out of college, it was, I don't know if, if he's going to have the stuff to get through a lineup, you know, three, four times consistently every fifth day. And, and I think a lot of times when we talk about pitching prospects, a lot of times people just grade out the stuff without taking into account how do they hold it. Is it as sharp in the, in the sixth inning as it is in the second? And a lot of times that's what differentiates star to reliever. You know, we talk about having the third pitch, and obviously that's a huge component. But holding your stuff is every bit as important. And I think in a lot of cases, especially as you move up the high minors, that's what the differentiation is, how you hold it. Yeah, that's fair. I, you know, Dunn, I think, receives higher marks for his delivery athleticism compared to somebody like Tate, who I think... A lot of scouts were quick with reliever delivery. Yeah. You hear that a lot. Uh, I don't think that's the case for Dunn. So there is there is hope. Some potential there. Yeah. But yeah, you know, it's interesting. Just looking at that starter reliever split, you mentioned the left right. Obviously, much larger sample size as a, as a starter, but opponents 294, 385, 421. Reliever 148, 230, 204. So the stuff is obviously there in flashes. Short bursts. Yeah. So. And, and from what I've been told from scouting departments, um, this platoon split was an issue in college as well. So after such a poor season, with so clearly something to work on, knowing that double A, high to double A is considered the biggest jump in the minors, mm-hmm. do you repeat them in the Florida State League next year? I would, yes. I, you know, it's not my decision to make. But, 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 but at least start I, him there. And yeah, so. there's really no downside to that, Give, giving him – Seven to ten starts there. See if uh, see if something can wiggle. Because you have the benefit of weather too. So you have Justin Dunn, who was their first round pick last year, really struggled. Then you have Pete Alonso, who was their second round pick last year and really excelled. We talk about no one hits in the Florida State League. He hit, got to Double A's first full season, hit there as well. What went into sort of the the thought process there, and where you know Dunn still got the edge over Alonzo? Although I know the grades you put on them are, are very very similar, and there wasn't a, a, an enormous amount of separation. Let's see, uh, Alonzo certainly has you know, plus game power and incredible exit velocities. I'm told off the bat, and he hit uh, 18 home runs and a truncated full season debut. Uh, the concerns here are. Mostly defensive. I got very, very bad evaluations of his defensive ability at first base. Like, not even playable at the major league level right now at, at this point. So he's got some work to do there. Uh, he also needs to prove that he can hit right-handed pitchers, which he is not 
done with authority as a pro, 256, 316 on base with power. So, I mean, when, he, when he's not hitting for power, he's not doing a whole lot against right-handers. Those are my two concerns in why he ranked fourth here. So, lack of defensive ability, lack of kind of overall athleticism. Given that lack of defensibility, if he was in an American League organization, would you have graded him a tick higher? Or, or just in that you could hide it Prob a little bit there? Probably not. I mean, the comps we're getting on him are Mike Napoli, Evan Gaddis, but those guys were catchers at this point in their careers. Right. And, and Alonso hasn't even proven he's a first baseman. Right. It's a much, much different level of, uh, of skill there. And, and I think it's important. People talk about, you know, Reese Hoskins. Hoskins was always a big guy. He was a good athlete. Watch him play mm -hmm. first. Not an issue there. So I think that's one of those things. Also that, demolished right-handers in the minor leagues. Right. So I, I know that we, I know you dug into that comp a little bit, and, and it showed up that there was a pretty stark difference between the two of them where Hoskins was, was clearly multiple ticks ahead of Alonzo at the same age. Mm-hmm. Moving forward, you know, one of the things – I feel like defense is always tough because on the one hand we hear a lot about, you know, poor defenders, but we also see a lot of times defense is the one thing that can improve the most. Sure. Was there a sense uh, at all that given time and, and some work it could get better or is it just a, a lack of athleticism that's going to be hard to overcome? Oh, yeah, I can pretty much guarantee that he will get better <laughs> defensively. <laughs> he has to be He's right. got – there's a lot, of, a lot of room for growth. Um and he didn't really face this level of scrutiny out of college. I think this is, for whatever reason, a terrible defensive year. I don't know precisely why that happened, but it was, it was bad. The, the, the scouts who saw him, it, it was a prominent part of their scouting reports. So as we move deeper, correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like those <laughs> top four, Jimenez, Peterson, Don Alonso, it's kinda, those are kind of the, the tier one guys. Was there a clear, you know, hard line between them and, and the next group of Zapucky, Vientos, Molina, etc.? Um, yes, in light of Thomas Zapucky's Tommy John surgery this year, yes, I think. <laughs> Zapucky might have ranked number one on this list had he stayed healthy. But as it is, you know, he's, he's had a lost year in 2017. He's going to have a lost 2018. And when he returns, he turns 23 during the 2019 season. So that's... It's putting him behind the eight ball, as they right. say. He'll, he'll be 23 without having pitched an inning above low A, which, and even that low A was 29 innings. So mm -hmm. it's it's a lot of promise, but you know it goes back to Tommy John. I think a lot of times people look at the success stories and assume, oh, you know, he'll be fine. But mm -hmm. one in five, the truth is, I think it's between one in five and one in six, don't ever make it back at all. And I think uh, some of the research out there is, is the median return is about 100 innings for a Tommy John guy. We just focus on the success stories. A lot of the guys who don't make it back, you forget about them. Mm -hmm. It'll be interesting. Um, in terms of what he showed when healthy, you mentioned he could have been number one. Uh, what What has he shown in his in his you know seasons? Uh, you know, he did get these six starts at Columbia this year and, you know, 2.79 ERA, solid strikeout numbers. Uh, what did he show? Big fastball, big breaking ball, like the kinds that you see at the front of major league rotations. I mean, he has, you know, and he has the physical build, if not necessarily the textbook mechanics or the changeup at this stage. But these are things that I think are less important for a pitcher like him who has a couple of frontline pitches. You know, we see pitchers with bad deliveries in major league rotations all the time now. No question. I don't think it's, you know, and he, and he held this stuff, you know, in short season ball when he went healthy. <laughs> when healthy. 
Yeah, now he's going to be fascinating to watch. You know, there's a couple guys who are going to be missing these two years now. He, he's going to miss, you know, most of 17 all of 18. Anderson Espinosa is another guy in a, in a similar boat, although Sapaki actually pitched. So there's a couple guys that, that have these two years that are going to be missing, having never pitched above the low minors, but everyone loves the stuff. And I think it'll be an interesting test case to see just modern-day medicine, pitching development, how things are emphasized, uh, how it all works out. I think it'll be just kind of fascinating to watch. Um you went Mark Fantos, their first-round pick this year, number six. Second-round pick. Second-round pick. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Correct. Behind David Peterson. What were some of the uh, early reviews and, and results and reports you got on him? Keeps getting better and keeps getting bigger, which is, you know, he's 6'4 already, but he still has room to fill out even, you know, 6'4", 185. High school kid from Florida. has faced some top competition. You know, he hit one home run as a senior, uh, but he hit four in the Gulf Coast League, which is pretty cool. Um progression to see out of a 17 year old youngest player I should also mention the youngest player drafted in the top 10 rounds this year 17 lots of room to fill out right could have been a junior in this year's high school class so yeah um yeah I mean he's still 17 doesn't turn 18 until uh, December 11th so incredibly young but also incredibly far away based on that (laughs) right and And I you know some organizations might not have been so willing to project so generously to take him so high Typically, when you see and you hear projectable, you're thinking high school pitcher. He's the rare high school position player who the Mets are investing in that upside potential, whereas I think a lot of teams might have preferred to see him go to school and prove it until he turns 20. Yeah, you know, it's not, obviously, you never want to go crazy over a, a debut after signing. I mean, it's not like you put up crazy numbers, 262, 318, 398. But, but it seems like a, oh, go but ahead. The trend, the trend is positive in that he did struggle for a month and then finished strong. So if you buy into that sort of progression. It, given his youth, given you mentioned that projectability, is he a candidate for a, a, another year in rookie ball next year? You know, maybe, you know, start yeah. extended, go out to Kingsport. I, I would say yes, but then I then you saw what they did with Jimenez this year. Send him out he's eighteen. He he spends a couple of weeks in extended, and then he's in the Sally League. <laughs> I mean, you know, with guys like Ahmed Rosario, like they did hold him back, and he played in the Appy League. I think that would be completely reasonable to hold Vientos to the Appy or the Penn League next year. But we'll see. Yeah, I think some of it's going to depend on how he probably you know looks and what he does this off season. If he comes back and something's clicked, especially. You know, guys that are 18, you know, that 17 to 18 jump is a lot, you know, physical development, a lot of added strength typically. So I think it'll be kind of fun to watch to see what he looks like, I think, when he shows up to camp next February and March. Mm -hmm. As we move down this list, I I feel like Mm -hmm. after Vientos, you talk about Marcos Molina, Desmond Lindsay, Chris Flexen, Luis Guillorme, you know, guys where there's a a sense that there might be a role for them somewhere, but none of these are going to be guys you're going to be relying on super super amped on um just take us through you know that this tier and and what your impressions were of it yeah that's fair i mean in terms of upside <laughs> desmond Lindsay's the guy you'll point to but he certainly has not shown that consistently as a pro he's had flashes but injuries have really been his undoing with a healthy year and high a next year you know we could be singing a different song about desmond Lindsay. But to me, he's the one exception to the idea that you uh, that we're looking at <clears throat> more role players, contributors. Marcus Molina, number four starter type of guy, with a chance with a chance for more if he can regain the velocity he showed in the past. But 
based on what he showed in 2017, more of a number four. What what specifically happened to his velocity for those who who don't know? How much of a drop was it? He's sitting more. I have to refresh my memory here. <laughs> He's sitting more 91 after being up to 94, like a more of a 94. So I mean, it's still workable, but it's definitely average. Right. It definitely, it's there's a pretty significant difference. But it's but he throws, you know, it's a high spin pitch. He's he's got a couple of uh, secondary pitches that work. So definitely a major league arm. Uh, Chris Flexen, we saw, wasn't ready for the majors this year. Seven eight eight ERA. Um, again, high spin, high spin breaking ball, enough fastball for a roll. And then uh, Luis Guillorme, you know, guy with great hands. We all know about those. I mean, was there a sense from anyone that? hit enough to hold down an everyday major league role is it pretty much going to be a utility situation it's utility profile for now you know left-handed hitter draws a lot of walks despite having 20 power it's it's amazing that he walks as much as he does (laughs) (laughs) and you know hit 280 at double a so we're looking at 45 to 50 hit tool if, if that maintains in the majors but it's the defense you're buying you know number eight hitter profile that's fair. I want to circle back to Desmond Lindsay. You, you mentioned there's consider considerable, you know, upside there. Injuries have, have short circuited him. I mean, two twenty in low A, you know, decent on base, walked a little bit, but two twenty with a three eighty eight slug. What is what is that he shows that gives individuals the faith? Because because he really he had a decent twenty sixteen, um, but twenty fifteen after he signed wasn't great. Twenty seventeen was obviously not great. What is it that he's shown that gives individuals the faith that, hey, it's in there for this guy to be an, an above-average regular, potentially? Good exit velocity, uh, good control of the strike zone, improving range in the outfield. He's a guy who played third base in high school, so center field is new to him. He has the raw speed. Uh, <clears throat> the Mets say his defensive metrics are good in center field. These are the reasons you want to believe and the reasons he's still in the top ten, despite a performance, a spotty performance track record. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if uh, if it can all click because I think that the minor leagues are littered with tools guys who couldn't who couldn't you know put it all together where it mattered. And in a stronger system, he's not in the top ten. But, but the Mets are kind of in this transitionary phase where they've graduated some blue chippers, traded Michael Fulmer, uh, they haven't been picking as high in the draft, so they're kind of in between. I think it's a stacked fair. system and trying to get back to having some depth. <laughs> I think we, we've established this is going to be one of the bottom five farm systems in baseball. Would you uh, agree with that sentiment? Uh, from what I've seen, that's a very real possibility. <laughs> we'll see if uh, what, what further trades happen, if anyone, if uh, some more individuals, uh, some teams, you know, trade some prospect depth. But I think that's fair. As we moved out of the top ten, did you have any guys that – I don't know if sleeper is the right term, but as you got more info about them, read the, you know, wrote up the reports, you know, got more feedback that piqued your interest a little bit as someone you felt like, hey, keep an eye on him, and if something clicks, we could see a, a rise? Sure. Um, number 11 is Ronnie Mauricio, who was the number three international prospect this year. You know, he signed for 2018. He's a Dominican shortstop, uh, you know, projectable body. Switch hitter, some some offensive upside. He's the guy I wrestled with ranking in the top ten, uh, and I think you could, you could certainly justify putting him in your top ten. You know Ben Badler, our international guru, as I mentioned, head of number three overall. But he got the sense that 
from his reporting, he, he wouldn't necessarily put him at a 60 level of uh, stealing. He's more of in the 55 range. So I decided to cool the heels a little bit and not go crazy just yet. But he's definitely kind of the one of the guys who could shoot up next year. Absolutely. You know, I, I wanted to ask about Anthony Kay, um, guy that there's obviously a decent number on in terms of upside. Risk is extremely considerable. <laughs> mm-hmm. What's uh, you know overall? What's what's your thoughts and your sense on on him? It's, well, the same upside that he had in the 2016 draft. He just hasn't pitched as a pro yet because he had elbow trouble. Tommy John missed the year. Looked pretty good in instructs this year. Um, you know, up to 95, high spin curveball, throws a changeup. You know, it's, <laughs> if if the, the goal for this year is just healthy, you know, staying in the rotation and making X number of starts. Getting into a single game would be an upgrade. 100 innings, if you can get to 90 to 100 innings, that would be a success. Absolutely. So one thing the Mets did, and you wrote about this a little bit in a separate piece, was trade uh, a lot of veterans for nothing but relievers. It was Seven relievers. It was the reliever party this year. Which of those guys, if any, opened your eyes a little bit or, or maybe, you know, sh- showed enough to say, all right, there's – you know, there's something here that, that could be playable in the major leagues, you know, potentially sooner rather than later. Yeah. Um, on the In the near term, it's Jamie Callahan. Part of the Addison Reed deal? Yeah, from the Red Sox. You know, a second-round high school arm who has a starter pedigree, I think there's a, there's a lot to like because of, for those reasons, you know, well, well-regarded out of high school, started in the minors. I always like that. You know, up to 99 now with a, with a good slider. Made a September call up. It was pretty effective, considering. I think in terms of near term, he's the one I would circle. Mm-hmm. In terms of long term, that would have to be you know, Gerson Bautista in that same trade with the Red Sox. Throws 101. <laughs> Doesn't have a great second pitch yet. But he's on the 40 man now. Just be shielded from the Rule 5. Uh, Drew Smith, whom the uh, Tigers drafted in the third round out of Dallas Baptist. Drafted ahead of Chance Adams, interestingly. Same same college staff. Yeah. High spin curveball, good fastball. He's another one. So, yeah, I mean... Those def- are the three I would circle. Yeah, and, and I think, look, you need to have a good bullpen to win in the major leagues. Uh, it's just sort of interesting, I think, when, when you looked at every single piece they had to go full reliever, uh, and you wrote about this, they addressed, they had, uh, I think, the second lowest uh, mm-hmm. average velocity of any bullpen in the majors, and yep. that, was, that was a targeted area. Yep. And they want... You know, subsequent to the after the season, we've learned that they want to spread the workload around more. So I think they want a stable of relief pitchers they they can call up and send back to AAA Vegas for one more year. <laughs> uh, they want to have a pitch in the elements. A lot of these guys to have on hand to cycle through the staff and not and to avoid wearing out Addison Reed or uh, <coughs> Jerry's Familia. No, and that's and I should say AJ AJ Ramos for next year. Absolutely. Now, one guy who I heard his name come up a, a few times just out and about with scouts, and he put up some good numbers this year in low A, Jordan Humphreys, 10-1, mm-hmm. 1.42 ERA. What was the sense you got on him and, and what his future can be? Uh, strike thrower, number four starter profile. But he's, he's obviously come a long way, 18th round pick out of high school. Another uh, one of these projectable uh, Florida pitchers the Mets have actually had some success with, you know, Rob Whalen, John Gant, Jordan Humphreys. Uh, 
some others who are coming to mind. <laughs> but hey, Whalen and Ganner are two big leaguers. Anytime you can consistently get big leaguers from high schoolers in the in the mid teens, it's, it's yeah, a pretty late, good record late in the draft. Yeah, um, yeah, it's not. It's more pitchability at this point, but he is improving, and his his low A numbers were phenomenal, as you mentioned. Uh, not not quite as effective in, in two goes in high A, but all signs are good. But then you know Tommy John surgery, and he's going to miss the year, and we'll see in 2019. So we've seen now a couple of Mets pitchers go down with TJ, and and look, it's something that affects pitchers in every organization, but. We talked about this isn't a great system to begin with, and just the constant injuries uh, to some of these arms. I mean, any thoughts on, on that and the, and the general talent drain that that, that becomes? Well, uh, on the plus side, four of the five uh, projected rotation members had Tommy John surgery <laughs> as prospects. <laughs> well, Harvey had, Matt Harvey had it in the major leagues, but the other three had it as, as prospects. So there is that. <laughs> Fair point. Fair or no, point. Wheeler had it. Zach Wheeler had it in the majors as well. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, you know, it's going to be interesting. I, I will say, I think for the Mets, we've talked about this is not a great system in any way, shape, or form. There's not really anyone on this in the system even, especially the top half, where you could say, oh, they'll help. They could help this year. I mean, for right. the most part, it's a, it's a two-year minimum away type of deal. But there still is – I feel like a considerable amount of, of young talent on the major league team just mm-hmm. because of some of those names you mentioned, you know, Rosario and Smith, Conforto, and even on that <clears> pitching staff. Sendergaard, Mats. Right, they feel like they've been around for a while. These guys are all still in their mid-20s. Yeah, or early I, 20s in some I cases. believe they've, they've, been in a, they've been in the top 100 in just the past three years. Yeah, so, I mean, I think it's, it's something where in order for the Mets to get back to, look, as bad as this year was, they were in the World Series in 2015 and back in the playoffs in 2016. Is there still a sense that even without this this great farm system, you know, that can come and supplement anymore, there's still a core now at the major league level with, with those young guys that the Mets can can build off of? Oh, absolutely. Uh, Noah Syndergaard, Jerry's Familia, and Yovanes Cespedes were injured for most of the year. If you can keep those star players healthy, and if Conforto can deliver another all-star year and stay healthy, I think you're, you're looking at four uh, cornerstone players. Right. Ahmed Rosario will be better this year. We've seen you know guys like even like Seth Lugo you know come up <clears> and, and become you know back end starters and big leagues. So it's it's not like I, I guess I look at the Mets differently than some of these other teams who you know if you take the Angels for example who they've got a couple of interesting pieces but then obviously Mike Trout's great but then all around it's older stop gaps you can't really do a lot with and they have a farm system with no one ready ready to help them probably in the near future. I see the Mets as a different situation just because again you go through there's a lot of guys in their 20s that have come up in the last year or two the pitching staff. Yeah, they they had a major league caliber offense last year. I mean they were second in the National League I believe before they started trading in adjusted OPS plus, second or third in the National League. But the pitching staff was the third worst in baseball. So if you get regression on the pitching side, all these guys stay healthy and pitch to you know, a range of outcomes that is expected, I think you're going to have, have a much different story. And that would further buy you know, a lot of these guys' time because I think we've talked about the Mets. Um, again, you know, Andres Jimenez, low A. Justin Dunn probably needs a repeat in high A. David Peterson pitched three and two-thirds innings in his pro debut. These are not guys who will be ready to help any time in the near future if all goes Unless you put Dunn and Peterson in the bullpen. Right. But if you keep them starters, no. Yeah. So 
in the near future, it's it's on it's on the current guys in New York, and uh, we'll see how the rest of these guys develop. All right, well, uh, I think that'll do it. Thank you so much for joining us, Matt, to talk about the Mets system. For Matt Eddy, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening, everybody. Don't forget your chance to win a stadium poster of your favorite team from S. Preston Designs. Again, enter to win at BaseballAmerica.com slash stadium contest. Thank you to our followers for tuning in today. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.